This is the Zach Asbury Show. Welcome. Today's podcast clip comes from an interview with Professor Sharon Rundle-Tierley from Social Marketing at Griffith University. Bring pockets of money together hmm. to make as much happen as we can. Yeah, so it's um, my understanding is you mostly go for sort of Category 2 income. Is that right? Um, the and history of work that we were doing was anything Category 2 to 4 funding. So yeah. for the academics in the world, it's the level of competitiveness around grants. Yeah. Um, but more recently, like we've been winning a lot of Category 1 work as well. Okay. And, so um, ARCs or from DECRAs? 20, or? From 2019, like my own story is one of probably $1 in five is now Category 1 funding, possibly as much as one in four. Mm. I've never quite sat down and broken it back down. Yeah. Um, so that tells us that the the highest, most respected level of um, sort of awarded funding you can get for research, to me, just says there's a lot of value in the work that people can see. You don't win them all, but we are above the actual award rates by nearly double. Okay. Um, so we know how to win them and are just continually putting asks out there to say, please fund this work because sometimes having the freedom to do the work you really need to do is needed and Category 2 to 4 funding is great, but it's someone else's. They've got a vision, they know what they need and our job is to service that and hand them the outcomes that they actually need. And that doesn't always allow the actual research questions that really need to be asked to be included in the work. And that, to me, is the power of Category 1 funding and, and why we should be brave enough to step up and say, please pick me, I am good and, and I should be funded to do this work. Wow, that's... Yeah, so they kind of... Yeah, they are very different, right? So Category 1's sort of more federal government, highly competitive, and then... I know Category 3 is sort of more industry-based. So Category 2, my understanding, is it's more local government. Is that right? Category 2 is still considered competitive Com because yeah. it's um, typically provided through a tender process. Um, so in some cases, you have to actually be elected onto a panel to even be asked to apply. Okay. In other cases, it's just open merit, but it's competitive selection. So you are responding to some work with a plan, and it's a really clear costed-out plan. Um, but they are then sitting there with 10 plans in front of them to decide which one of the 10 they're actually going to award funding that they have available to. Um, so I consider it to be equal in yeah. some respects to the national competitive grant, so what we call the Category 1 funding. Yeah. Um, but Category 1 rates are still typically slightly lower than a Category 2 rate. Um, and it's interesting because I think senior management still today celebrate the Category 1 wins. We yeah. hear a lot of rhetoric now supporting anything Category 2 to 4, but it's funny, you still see a difference in terms of what's getting recognised and how much excitement's generated when you've won that next sort of Australian Research Council or NHMRC grant. Yeah, it's definitely it's something that the university likes to promote as well. Like we won X number of Category 1 income or, yeah, it is very highly celebrated, um, that's for sure. And it's celebrated because it takes a heck of a lot to win them. Mm. So you have to get an exceptional portfolio of work to be able to sell the work that you can actually do. On top of that, you then have to craft applications down to the last dotted I, cross <laughs> T. Um, they're an incredibly refined piece of work and like from a, a typical application, like they're often as many as 50 to 120 pages. Mm, it's like wow. writing a thesis. Yeah. Um, so and I just can, to get the funding to do the research. I can be awarded <laughs> as much money on a two-page mm. written document and there's a big difference in terms of pulling one mass document together versus, you know, a much more concise piece that just says, here's the plan and please fund it. So they are different beasts to attack. 
Yeah, oh, 100%. So I've never, I mean, the Institute, the Ehrenberg Bass Institute model is not one of category one income. We're more category three, I suppose, very industry funded. Um, so, but I have noticed I've been through a, they call it an ECR or early career research and development program. So it was run by um, Professor Pat Buckley with us, and she's, she's very good at doing it. And because it's um, ECR, so people within the first five years of their PhD, all in one room, different disciplines, uh, most of them, their research funding is going to come through Category 1. So they had all of these sessions about how to apply for it, the support structures within the university to get it done. Um, and I've noticed the, the key thing that I took out of it was the university itself is quite happy to fund sort of smaller pilot projects to kind of have like a proof of concept to then go into that larger grant and then to show that, you know, there's something here, some initial findings. Is that something Griffith do or something that your team do? I think right across the... So, and I have to say this is across planet-wide, if you are working in the Category 1 grant space, it is about being the right team for the job yeah. and delivering beyond doubt that you and proving you would be the right team that can actually do that job. So the reasons that universities are investing behind these applications or giving pilot seed funding is to get that demonstrated track record yeah. because it's that track record that is needed to actually secure the research income. Like You don't get awarded a million dollars on a maybe. You get awarded a yeah. million because you can actually step up, get it done and deliver value off that dollar. Um, and I think the important thing across how we communicate research and think about research is to start applying a bit of the classic economic value back onto the way we think about research. Yeah. What are we getting? Where is the bang for the buck? And if you invest a dollar in this, what consequence or in outcome is there in community? If that one dollar is invested, can we get some money back for it? Um, the days of just handing money out... Mm are going. And if they're not going, they're already long gone. So it's, it's not quite there. I do still see a bit of money getting handed out with not enough questions asked for what is this really doing? <laughs> yeah, and no, I kind of am supportive of that because, you know, it is taxpayer money and taxpayers pay salaries and stuff like that. So they should expect, you know, a good return on that investment. You know, if we're giving you a million dollars to to find a, a solution to a problem, well, that problem should be large enough and it shouldn't just be to, to float your job or your centre. It should be to actually get some benefit. So are we going to improve public health? Are we going to make systems more efficient? Whatever the project happens mm -hmm. to be. Um, I'm kind of glad as a, as a citizen but also as another academic that, that there is a lot of scrutiny in this process because um, otherwise silly things are going to get funded and that's, that doesn't suit anyone. Hey, guys. It's Zach Ainsbury here with just a couple of quick reminders. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, then make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. There are plenty more interviews to come with some of the world's leading marketing academics and practitioners. You do not want to miss these. In the meantime, if you're looking for another way to connect, then follow me on Twitter at Zach Ainsbury. That is Z-A-C-A-N-E-S-B-U-R-Y for my take on the marketing issues of the day.